So this is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm your host, Josh Malden, and I'm here today with Mark Eaton to discuss his new book, Religion and American Literature Since 1950, published by Bloomsbury in 2020. Uh, Mark, you're a CTI member who was in the program on religion and violence. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. And you've been on the podcast before, so we won't go into all of your background and so on as we did before, but specifically wanted to talk to you today about this book. Maybe to get it started, I had a question about what it's like to be a scholar who works at the intersection of literature and religion or literature and theology. Do you feel more comfortable in one field or the other? Do you feel more comfortable when you're at a mm -hmm. literary fiction, uh, you know, literature yeah. conference as opposed to at a religion yeah. and theology conference? Or are you just sort of always living in that in-between? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, it is sort of an in-between space. It's a very interdisciplinary field where you have to be a literature scholar. But on the other hand, you really have to, you know, kind of know a little bit about biblical studies, theology, religious studies. And so there is some of that feeling that there's a lot that you need to know, but it's a, it's a pretty exciting, I think, interdisciplinary field because people do come at it from different directions. I think of someone like Matthew Potts at Harvard Divinity School, who is more of a theology and literature guy and others kind of, you know, one of the books in this book series that I'm in is the Bible in the American short story. So that's kind of a biblical studies. I would say I come at it sort of from more of a religious studies um, perspective of kind of trying to think about, think about religion historically and, and culturally and how literature kind of uh, can inform us about that. What led you to write this book and how long, you know, have you been working on it? I imagine it's been, a, it's been quite a few years. Yeah, it was a few years. You know, I, I kind of got interested in writing this book through the literature that I was reading. I mean, when you read someone like James Baldwin, Flannery O'Connor, John Updike, even someone like Don DeLillo, you can't help but notice that they're sort of working with theological ideas, trying to represent religious communities, trying to represent characters who are struggling with their faith, etc., so I kind of wanted to kind of try to make sense of what these writers were trying to do in representing religion and spirituality in their work. As I said earlier, the title of your book is Religion in American Literature Since 1950. And the next question I have is related to what exactly you're, you're kind of doing by looking at these fictional works that, you know, in the latter half of the 20th century. So you're talking about all the figures you just mentioned, also people like Philip Roth, Saul Bellow. Yeah. One of the things I got out of reading it was, yeah. and I wanted to ask you about this, it seems that there's a certain sense in which what you're wanting to do is to look at these literary fictional uh, books, right. and in a sense to learn about religion in American society in the real world, yeah. like what, how, yeah. how has religion actually been a factor, yeah. but yeah. to actually learn about that from fiction. And so I guess my first question on that is, is that a right. controversial move in literary studies to actually move out of the text and say, I'm going to use the text to try to understand actual history and the actual world. Yeah. Um, that, I don't think that is a controversial move anymore. I think there has been a sort of historical turn in literary studies where, you know, literary critics are much more inclined to think about history and literature, you know, as sort of mm. 
intertwined and literature speaks into you know, historical mm-hmm. moments and tries to represent the past as well. I mean, one of my favorite genres is historical fiction. So, but absolutely, I was, I was trying to look at kind of literature after 1950 as kind of tracking with some changes in religious life, the religious landscape of America. And so what I would say about that is that, you know, the, the secularization thesis that was kind of dominant for a while was suggested that, you know, there was this kind of progressive, inevitable secularization of American culture and society. And that was a teleology, you know, it had a kind of endpoint of, you know, that religion was going to go away or something. And, and it turns out that that's not, you know, that's not really an accurate representation of what's going on. And so what I would say is that I, I'm trying to replace that kind of teleology of the secularization thesis with more of a genealogy of religious change. You know, what is happening in different religious denominations, Catholicism, for example, what kind of new religious movements are emerging in the latter half of the 20th century. Um, So I have a whole chapter on kind of storefront Pentecostalism in African-American literature, particularly James Baldwin. So it's kind of, you know, sort of tracking how secularization is certainly having lots of effects, but religion is pretty elastic. It's evolving, it's adapting, it's, it's strengthening in some, in some sectors. So it's, it's certainly not disappearing by any stretch during that period. And that's what I think the literature kind of helps us see is, you know, the way that literature is adapting and changing. And I mean, mm-hmm. that religion is sort of changing and adapting along the way. Because one of the things you talk about, too, is that, yeah, the, the role of secularization, it's not this one way street that's just inevitably yeah. the world. Yeah. You know, there's strange reversals that happen. And you talk about this specifically in regard to John Updike's novel definitely. and the beauty of the lilies, Yeah, which I definitely. really was actually reading just independently before I started reading your book. And I'm still that's reading fantastic. it now. Yeah. So I was thinking you actually I almost needed a spoiler alert because I, I'm only a third of the way through the book. <laughs> yeah. I started you were just, you know, you're telling me everything that's going to happen, which is fine. But I was shocked. I didn't realize the book was going to starts around 1910 or so. Right. I didn't realize right. it was going to go all the way up to like the 1980s. I thought it would all be set yeah. in the, you know, the first couple of decades of the 20th century. But one of the points you make there is that there's these strange the beginning of the book we have a lot of kind of themes of secularization, loss of faith, atheism, and right. so on. And right. then strangely, as generations go, there's a, a almost a, a return to religion in some ways. Yeah, that's well put. I mean, it's this epic novel that covers almost the whole 20th century. And it starts out in the 19, you know, 1910, 19-teens with a Presbyterian minister who kind of struggles to sustain his faith, but ends up losing his faith. And so you think the novel is kind of going in that direction. It, you know, talks a lot about a kind of newly legitimized atheism in the early 20th century, et cetera. But as you're suggesting, as you proceed with the novel, a lot of the characters kind of are searchers, you know, they're, they're searching for something more, you know, than material existence. And, you know, so in some, in some cases, they kind of turn to new age religions. In other cases, they become involved in, you know, religious cults. And, you know, what's remarkable, I think, is that Updike sort of tracks some of these things 
as they were actually happening in, in American history. So for example, the, the latter chapters are sort of based on the Branch Davidian cult in Texas that mm-hmm. had a standoff, you know, with the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think uh, Updike is Updike is very much kind of trying to present his characters in a pretty positive light, you know, that the main character Clark at the end becomes almost like a savior figure because he saves some of the people from that uh, standoff. So it's, it's a really interesting novel and I think an underappreciated novel. Um, yeah, you mentioned helped. that it's under underappreciated. Uh, that's in the beauty of the has yeah. it not been has it not been given much attention in the sort of updike corpus? Well, it was pretty. It was positively reviewed for by Michiko Kakutani in the New York Times Book Review, for example. Um, so you know, I think reviewers saw it as a really ambitious novels. But I guess you know, like a lot of you know super ambitious novels, it it has some flaws, perhaps. Um, I think it's a pretty remarkable book. Um, you know, I would compare it to Don DeLillo's Underworld, which is also very epic. It's a big social fiction uh, type novel. And, you know, that too has some flaws, but just considering how ambitious In the Beauty of the Lily is, I think it succeeds on most counts. In the introductory chapter where you're talking about Updike, you also mentioned two other novels, uh, yeah. Roger's Version and... Yeah. month of Sundays, which both of which I had happened to just read before I read In the Beauty of yeah. the Lilies. I was kind of, I'd picked up three of his books at a used bookstore. I think right after you were at CTI, I think you'd kind of put the yeah. idea in my head. And um, so those also deal with these themes of kind of secularization, yeah. uh, faith, loss of faith, and so on. Yeah, Updike, I mean, I would, I would just say about him as an author too, is that, you know, even though he's really representing struggles with belief in his fiction a lot, and kind of secularization kind of themes at the same time he himself is like a you know a devout churchgoer you know most of his career and so there's a way in which he you know he likes that kind of persistence of religious practice you know so even as you know intellectually a believer might be struggling at points in his his or her life you know he kind of thinks that practicing your religion is an important way of sustaining religious faith Maybe say a bit more about the the work you did uh, with on James Baldwin and Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flannery O'Connor and James Baldwin are the uh, the first two chapters, and you know, so I, one one Flannery O'Connor represents a a Catholic writer who is very serious about her, you know, Catholicism. Um, you know, the, the the recently published a prayer journal, for example, that she kept while she was at the University of Iowa Writers' Workshop shows just how serious she is about her faith and about theology. Uh, and yet her fiction is, you know, kind of dark comedy. It's, it's, it's very dark. It's often about uh, characters who are kind of rejecting their faith uh, or better trying to reject their faith. Because I think what Flannery O'Connor is always trying to do is, you know, somehow through the extremity of violence or something, he's, she's trying to kind of bring them around to accepting God's grace. You know, that's sort of her, her big approach. Um, but nonetheless, I just kept noticing in her fiction, these um, apostate characters, you know, they're, they're trying to, re- to move away from religion, but they kind of, they can't get 
away from, uh, you know, sort of God pursuing them. And they end up, you know, sometimes uh, finding redemption. And so that that's kind of what I'm arguing about uh, O'Connor's work. You know, meanwhile, in her essays about, you know, the Catholic novelist, for example, she she is often also trying to take stock of the secularization of America. And, you know, particularly in, in the kind of elite intellectual uh, circles. So she she often kind of positions herself as a writer who is writing against the grain of what's happening in the culture. Now, Baldwin, you know, is just such an interesting figure because he grows up in Harlem. He, he attends the um, Abyssinian Baptist Church, which is the not only the largest African-American church, but the largest Baptist church in America at the time with something like 13,000 members. But then he becomes a boy preacher in the Pentecostal church. And this is a very uh, powerful experience for him. And it's something that, you know, eventually he be, he becomes a writer and he writes his first novel, sort of very autobiographical novel about that experience of the Pentecostal church. And Baldwin kind of, you know, he becomes a figure in the civil rights movement, but he too kind of retains this religious language and this sort of theologically way, theological way of thinking about, you know, who we are as human beings, who we are as Americans. And so that's, you know, those are two writers that I think are kind of giants uh, in American fiction, one writing from a sort of Protestant, even Pentecostal kind of perspective, and the other from a Catholic one. Mm. Maybe a couple of last questions. You can answer them in either order. Uh, yeah. What's your next project? I'm interested in that. And then maybe even easier, what are you reading lately? Yeah. So, um, so next projects, well, the one that's uh, kind of most immediate is I'm about to finish an edited collection called Historical Fiction Now. And this is a collection in which I'm writing an introduction. Um, and then I also have a chapter, but I've invited mm -hmm. a lot of different writers who, uh, writers of historical fiction, mm -hmm. as well as uh, historians and literary critics, some of whom have written historical fiction. So it's an essay mm -hmm. collection kind of about the landscape of historical fiction today. So anyway, so that book's under contract with uh, Oxford University Press and is almost finished. Excellent. And then, you know, after that, I have some other projects. One of them is some of the work that I was doing at CTI uh, was on religion and violence. And that grew out of what was originally a chapter in my book about 9-11 fiction. And because the publisher wanted the book to be much shorter, I've sort of taken that chapter and tried to develop it into a larger project mm -hmm. on post 9-11 literature and kind of radicalization and violence. Yeah, what am I reading lately? I'm reading a lot of kind of contemporary fiction. Colson Whitehead is a writer that mm -hmm. I really admire. So his uh, book, The Underground Railroad, I thought was quite amazing. And then a follow-up book called The Nickel Boys. So similarly, Mbolo Mbue is a writer from Cameroon who lives in the US now. And she wrote an amazing book called Behold the Dreamers about the financial crisis in 2008. And the characters, one of the characters is at Lehman Brothers and it collapses, et cetera. 
And then she has a brand new book that I'm also reading. Well, great. And uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Uh, Congratulations again on your book, Religion in American Literature, since 1950. Thanks for being on the podcast, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me, Josh. It was a pleasure to talk about the book with you. Mm -hmm.